right. So I'm doing the Bible reading today, um, and we're reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have the church Bible, it's on page 988. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it lives with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it will not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it will not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat, are, are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? 
to all work miracles, to all have gifts of healing, to all speak in tongues, to all interpret, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. We're going to uh, pray together before we uh, think about those words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as the God of all things, the God who created us, who made us, and the God who calls us into relationship uh, through the words of the gospel, the words about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that as we uh, reflect on your word now, that you would give us understanding by your spirit, that you would call us, uh, into that relationship with you and strengthen us in our relationship with you. Uh, we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I wonder if you've uh, ever looked at somebody else and wanted to be like them or wanted to be them. It probably happens every Sunday when I stand up to preach, I imagine. Um, it's tough. It's tough to be you. <laughs> Some people, uh, maybe you look at them and they just seem so talented. Uh, maybe they're good at music. They're really good at music and you would dearly love to be good at music, but you, you, know, you, can't, you can't keep hold a note when you sing. Uh, maybe uh, they're good at making friends and you just really struggle with that and you would just love to be one of those people who could walk into a room and just straight away uh, get to know people really well. Maybe they're good at art or they're good at speaking in front of people or good at drama. Maybe they're smart. They seem to understand everything uh, very quickly. But for you, it takes heaps of time. And so maybe you look at other people and you think, oh, just, I would, it would just be so nice to be them rather than to be me. Uh, and to think, I'm, I just feel so useless. I'm the, I just slow everybody down. I'm a drag on everybody else. Or maybe uh, you're actually the one who's really quite talented. Maybe you're, you are good at music or you're good at art. Maybe you are really quick to understand things. Maybe uh, you look around at the people around you and instead of thinking, I slow them down, you look at them and you think, wow, they're slowing me down. Well, it seems like those were similar to the kinds of issues that Paul was addressing as he wrote to this early first century church, this church in Corinth. Some of them thought that they were better than others because God was doing more spectacular things through them. They thought, wow, look, God is at work in me. I must be better than those other people. And others were looking at themselves and feeling like God wasn't doing anything in them. And so they felt inferior, they felt left out. And that's what Paul is addressing here in this chapter. Before he gets to that and to spiritual gifts, as he calls them, he begins with what seems like maybe a kind of irrelevant observation. But it's actually really important for us to understand. He says in verse 1, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be uninformed. Well, that's great. He wants to tell people about the gifts of the Spirit. But then he goes on to say... You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. What's he saying? Well, his point is that before they were Christians, they weren't just free people. In fact, they weren't free at all. Rather, they were actually being led and influenced. But they were being led and inf being influenced by dumb idols. 
He then goes on to say, Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. In the same way that before they were believers, they were led astray, in the same way now that they're Christians, they are led by the Spirit. In fact, even their coming to faith is the result of the work of the Spirit. Paul says no one can even say Jesus is Lord. No one can even make that profession without the Spirit of God working in them. He's not saying no one can say the actual words that Jesus is Lord. He's saying no one can actually say them and mean them apart from God's power at work within them. So too, no one can say Jesus is cursed without... uh, you know, if they have the Spirit of God in them. Again, he's not saying just about the words, uh, but he's talking uh, about saying them and meaning them. Why is Paul making that point? Well, he's saying it because he's going to go on and talk about the various different kinds of gifts of the Spirit that different Christians have. But before he says that, he wants them and us to know that irrespective of our different gifts, all Christians have the Spirit. It's not that some Christians have the Spirit and others don't, but all believers have the Spirit. They must have the Spirit, he says, in order even just to be able to come to faith in Jesus. There are no Christians, Paul wants us to know, that do not have the Spirit. Perhaps the the Corinthians thought that there were some people in their church who, because they didn't have particular gifts, didn't have the Spirit. That's certainly an error that has been present in the history of the church, so it would be unsurprising to find that in these early times as well. Some churches, for example, would wrongly teach that only those who speak in tongues have the Spirit. Others teach that there are only, uh, sorry, that there are two kinds of Christians. There are carnal or fleshly Christians, and then there are those who are spiritual Christians or spirit-filled Christians. But Paul here, God here, says no to both those ideas. He says, those who are genuinely Christians have the Spirit. And the key marker of that is not different gifts, whether it's speaking in tongues or prophecy or whatever it might be. Rather, the mark of that possession of the Spirit is their submission to the Lordship, to the Kingship of Jesus. That's the test. That's the marker uh, of having the Spirit and of belonging to Christ. All Christians have the Spirit. If you are a believer in Christ, you have the Spirit. Uh, If you have submitted to the Lordship of Christ, you cannot have done that apart from the Spirit of God at work in you. So Paul says, first of all, look, I want you to know, before we get into gifts, I want you to know if you're a believer in Christ, if you're submitted to Christ's kingship, you have the Spirit. But next, he goes on to talk about the differences got all this in common but there's also differences he says in verse 4 there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit distributes them there are different kinds of service but the same lord the same jesus christ 
There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So we've got God in common, but then within that, we have different gifts that God has given us to serve Him in different ways. And Paul lists what some of the different gifts are uh, that a person might have. It's helpful to realise as well that the list that he gives here is not a comprehensive list. Uh, Elsewhere, Paul gives similar lists, but he, he mentions other things. For example, even at the end of this chapter, he lists, uh, he has a different list of gifts. He mentions some other things there that he doesn't mention at the start. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, 6 to 8, in Ephesians chapter 4, he mentions other gifts. So in Romans, for example, he mentions gifts like serving or teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, and showing mercy. So too earlier in this particular letter, he's described singleness as a gift. That is, it's a state in which people are able to serve God. Presumably as well, marriage is also a gift. So we shouldn't think of every gift from the Spirit as supernatural. Or, actually, it's probably better to say, we should think of every gift as supernatural and nothing as just ordinary. I always think nobody ever wants the gift of administration. Uh, It doesn't seem particularly supernatural, but actually God has given that gift for the good of His church. Even when it comes to mundane things, what we might think of as mundane things... Things like serving and giving and encouraging and showing mercy, those things are actually empowered by the Spirit of God for the good of His church. They're just as precious as any other gift. But what do we make then of some of the gifts that Paul mentions here in this passage? He mentions two, first of all, the messages, what he describes as messages of wisdom and knowledge. A message of wisdom is presumably the Spirit-given ability to give wise and biblical and Christ-centred guidance on a particular issue. A message of knowledge is the Spirit-given ability to understand the Scriptures. He's talked about both those ideas already in the book of Corinthians. He's talked about wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God in chapter 1 and 2. He's talked about knowledge, right knowledge back in chapters 8 through 10. Second, there's the gift of faith. Now, it might seem strange that faith would be a gift that Christians have in in different degrees, but Paul isn't here talking about the faith by which we are saved, the faith by which we say, Jesus is Lord. Rather, he's speaking about the faith by which we undertake things that seem impossible with great confidence, with great trust in God, regardless of the outcome. There are some people who just seem, for whatever reason, perhaps not always, but at particular times in their life, they seem to have this remarkable confidence in God to undertake great things for God. It's not a trust that what they do will work out, but it is a trust that God is in control no matter what. And trusting God, they commit themselves to it. Third, there is the gift of healing. 
Clearly, God is able to heal anyone. God has made the world. God can heal uh, those in his world. And sometimes God can use particular people in doing that. Uh, Significantly here, Paul describes this gift as the gift of healings uh, in the plural, suggesting perhaps that the gift is not an ongoing possession, but individual instances of the gift that people might display at particular times. So if you think about the New Testament more broadly... It's interesting to note that there's nothing in the New Testament to suggest that the gift of healing is ever a permanent, ongoing gift that a person possesses and that they can call on uh, whenever they will. For example, although the book of Acts records Paul himself doing great miracles empowered by the Spirit, there are also times when he couldn't heal people. He tells Timothy that he left Trophimus in Miletus sick uh, and... Other times he leaves people sick as well. And in fact, for, probably, for all these gifts, we probably shouldn't think of them as permanent possessions, but things that God gives to particular people at certain times for certain purposes. Uh, we, when, we don't always possess the ability to do partic- whatever it is, particular things. Uh, But God uses us in particular ways at particular times. Fourth, Paul talks about miraculous powers. uh, And it seems to be that God, he's referring to the times when God, like healings, uses particular people to do something completely miraculous. Again, like with healing, it's, it's plural as opposed to all the other gifts that are described singularly, suggesting that it's... uh, a one-time event, most likely, rather than an ongoing possession of a gift that a person can use at their will. Fifth, there's prophecy. I talked about prophecy a couple of weeks ago. I think that the chief focus of prophecy in the New Testament is the mystery of Christ that was for ages kept hidden but has now been revealed. That is, Prophecy is largely focused around the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus, the Spirit-empowered proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. It is the empowerment of the Spirit to make the message of Christ known in the world. Sixth, uh, there is distinguishing between spirits, that is, evaluating what others have spoken to test whether it's true or not. Some people seem to be particularly discerning in that regard and others not so discerning. Uh, Seventh, there is speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Uh, Tongues just means really other languages and we'll come to what that means in a couple of weeks after Christmas when we think about 1 Corinthians 14. But just to flag what I think is going on, uh, I I take it uh, that speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues refers to the ability to speak in and to interpret other real human languages. but in a miraculous way. Uh, And again, the main purpose of that is the proclamation and the spread of the gospel. So all these gifts are about the good of the church and uh, and the good of God's kingdom. But irrespective of what the gifts are that Paul mentions, remember he's just mentioning a few, these were presumably ones that many of the Corinthians thought were kind of high up on the list, the things that they wanted... Uh, Whatever we make 
of uh, the gifts that Paul mentions, his main point is that whatever gifts we have, they are exactly the gifts that God wants us to have. Paul says in verse 11, all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Whatever gifts you have, they are exactly the gifts that God wants you to have. Perhaps you look at your abilities and they seem very insignificant. Perhaps you don't feel particularly good at anything. Perhaps you think about, well, what ways can I serve the church? And you, and you, you come up with a very short list. Or you look at the ways that others are serving the church, you think, well, they're doing a much more impressive job than I am. Perhaps all that you feel able to do is to help in very modest, what you think of as modest ways, to clean up after coffee, to, to help people with the groceries, to send encouraging emails or text messages to people. You might think about those abilities and think that they're worthless, but God says they're not and you're not worthless. You have exactly the gifts that God wants you to have. And he's given them to you as a gift for the body. In God's kindness, he could have just directly given to other people what they need. <laughs> but in God's kindness, he's given it to you as a gift to pass on to them. Whatever gifts you have are exactly the gifts that God wants you to have and they're precious to him and they're precious to his church as well. So all Christians have the Spirit, but Christians have different gifts. Finally, Paul says, at greater length, he wants to go on to show that all of us and all of our gifts are important. They all matter. Paul says here that the church is like a body with many parts. their hands and feet, eyes and ears, noses, toes, fingers, and so on. And just like a body, all the bits of the body are important. That's true in how we think, he says, about our own place in the body. It's also true in how we think about the place of others in the body. So first Paul applies this body imagery to how we think about ourselves. He says in verse 15, Now if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. I wonder if you've ever thought like that. You've been tempted to think, well, because I'm not this or because I'm not that or because I can't do this, I don't really belong. You know, I'm not really worthwhile. I'm not really part of the church. Paul says, no, if you think like that, no, that's not right. You are part of the body. In fact, it's because you're not an eye or a hand that you're needed. It's because you're not those things that you actually do belong to the body. What good is it to have ten hands and no feet? Or twenty eyes and no nose? Now, one of the key ways that Paul applies that to the Corinthians is with respect to their gifts. 
So if God gives one person great insights into the Bible, but he doesn't give that to you, that doesn't make you less valuable, Paul says. If God uses one person to be the means of miraculous healing for another person, perhaps, you, perhaps there's one person, they go and they pray for this person, and, the, and by God, by his grace, is, heals them. That does not make you less valuable than them. We all have different gifts, and each is for the common good. And the fact that your gifts seem less spectacular than others does not make you not part of the body. But notice too that here in this passage, Paul isn't just talking about abilities. He also actually talks about social position. He says that they've all been baptised into one body, but the things that he goes on to list are not abilities, but life circumstances. Jews or Greeks, slave or free. When we think about the body and the body imagery, we often think exclusively of gifts in terms of abilities. But Paul views the gifts of the body here as also made up of people's positions in life. That's important, I think, for us to understand because one of the measuring sticks by which we often assess the church and by which Christians often assess the church is whether or not there are other people like them. So we probably think more in those categories, actually, than about our gifts. So not, I don't belong because I'm useless, we might think that, but we're more likely to think, I don't belong because I'm not like other people. So we say, I don't like the church where I am because there's no one there my age. Or we've come to this church because the last church that we were at, there were no people there our children's age. Or there's no one here who's from Africa or Asia or Russia or South America. Or there's no one here who speaks the same language as me. Or there's no one who's been in prison like I have. It can be just about anything. It could be there's no one here who stands on one leg, holds their left ear and shouts, Hooray! Hooray! There's a shortage, the desperate shortage of people like that in the church. Am I the only one who feels out of place? But Paul says we can't say things like that. And in fact, he, he goes so far as to say that it's because we are different that we belong. So we think, I'm different, therefore I do not belong. And the Bible says, no, it's because we're different that we do belong. You're the ear, and the rest of us are noses. If you're not here, we won't be able to hear anything. Or maybe you're the foot. And if we lose you, we won't be able to walk. Think how easy it would have been for one of those Gentile believers in a mainly Jewish church to feel, I don't belong. Or a Jewish believer who tried to join a mainly Gentile church to think to themselves, oh, there's no one here like me. 
Or what about a slave in a church of free people? Or a free person in the church of slaves? It would be so easy for people to think, I don't belong. For those of you uh, who are young, uh, those of you who are leaf youth age, you might think to yourself, I don't belong at youth or at church because there's no one here like me. Or I don't belong because I go to a different school that everybody else goes to. Or I don't belong here because uh, I'm older than everyone or I'm younger than everyone or because there's lots of other people who know each other better than I do or they're related to each other and I'm not related or whatever it is. It can be really hard to be in that situation. But I want to say to you that it's because you're different that you do belong in Leaf Youth or in the church or wherever it is. It's because you're different that we need you. The old people need you. The other youth need you. We need you because of who you are. It's just as true to say that we belong to the body because of our difference in social position as it is of our gifts and our talents. So Paul applies the body imagery to how we think about ourselves. He also applies it then finally to how we think about others. That is, we shouldn't say of ourselves, I don't belong because I'm different. And nor should we say, you don't belong because you're different. Paul says in verse 22, On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Not only can you not exclude yourself, you can't exclude others. You can't say to them, well, you're not like us. We need you to go. God has put the body together. He's given us all the people and all the gifts, and all the diversity that we need. Well, I wonder if, as you look around the church, sometimes you think that there are people that we could do without. You might not be so bold as to say it, but maybe you think it. It's easy enough to do, isn't it? To think, well, that person is a bit difficult, they're not like me, it's hard to relate to them. Perhaps it would be easy without them. Now, perhaps they're a bit on the spectrum. Uh, maybe they have severe mental, uh, mental illness and that, and that makes it hard to relate to them. Perhaps you have nothing in common with them. Perhaps they don't seem particularly talented. Or perhaps they do seem, they seem too talented. And so you'd rather not have them around. God says we can't look at people and say those people are not essential because actually those are exactly the people that God has given to us as a gift for our good and for his glory. Those people are essential and God has given them to us. We need to reconfigure our understanding and our appreciation and valuation of the parts of the body, of ourselves and of each other. All Christians have the Spirit of God, Paul says. All are equally valuable in the eyes of God. But not all Christians 
are the same and not all have the same gifts. God has given to each of us different gifts, precisely the gifts he wants us to have for the good of his church, for the glory of his name. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace in Jesus and we thank you particularly for the grace and the gift of the Spirit through whom we have come to believe in Christ and to call him Lord and to submit to him, to find in him all that we need for life, salvation and godliness. Lord, uh, we thank you too that in your grace and in your mercy you've entrusted to us different gifts and abilities different stations in life by which we can serve you and serve one another and the world. And Lord, we, we confess that often we look at our own gifts or the gifts of others and we might think little of them. We might think little of the gifts that you've entrusted to us or little of the gifts that you've entrusted to others. Lord, please forgive us for that. And please help us to trust that you give uh, exactly what we need and according to your great wisdom and Lord we pray that you would help us to reconfigure our understanding of ourselves and of each other in the light of your graciousness and the generosity of your gifts and we pray that you would help us and teach us and train us to use the gifts that you have given for the good of each other not for our own good and for the glory of your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.